Chef Jason Wilson, thank you for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. Absolutely. I want to kind of, um, I read that you graduated uh, school in Frisco in 1995. Are you a California boy? Oh, gosh, I'm kind of a blended scenario, you know, maybe like the well, Hines for the seven. I, I was born in the Midwest and um, moved out to the Bay Area uh, when I was 14, 15 years old. Oh, okay. Is that because your your dad's work or something? Um, yeah, you know, my um, my parents, uh, I guess, worked in the Midwest and were from there. And then um, we, my mom had an opportunity to, to do a master's program at UC Santa Clara. Oh, okay. So uh, I found myself in the early 80s, um, well, 84, 85, um, out in uh, San Jose, Santa Clara, and um, Los Gatos area. So it was a fun time to be there. Absolutely. Uh, fun, a fun time to grow up, I should say. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, I grew up in, I don't know if you, were, if you know where Santa Clarita is in California, where Magic Mountain is. Oh, yeah. That's where I yeah. grew up, in that community there. So, and like you, I was Isn't probably... Isn't that where um, Lost Boys was filmed or supposed to be filmed? I think so. There was, back in that, in the 80s, that was um, the second movie capital of California to the point where yeah. they, actually, they built movie studios out there. We had, they filmed... Um, the Dick Van Dyke show, The Diagnosis Murder at the Hospital in my town. They filmed A-Team out there. They filmed American Hero, if anybody remembers that one, at my high school. So we had those guys around all the time at my high school. And, yeah, it was crazy. It was a fun time. We had all kinds of – now they've got studios out there and all kinds of stuff. So it's like the second Hollywood. But that was kind of kind of fun times. Fun times. Then I want to um, – you get you and you worked in the business for quite some time, and then um, opened Crush in 2005. I was kind of curious, being in the business for eight or nine years. What was the decision point for for you to go? Okay, I'm going to go out on my own. You and your wife decided that's it. We're gonna we're gonna make the leap. What was the the mindset for those that are maybe listening that that have that urge to go on their own? Can you kind of talk us through that thought pattern or how that came about? Yeah, um, love to. Uh, I, I, I think, <clears throat> you know, I think it's a leap of faith as to how I could say it uh, best. My, my wife and I had had, um, you know, a really good run together of, of doing some, I, I did some personal chef work and some catering work on the sides, had worked for other chefs and other restaurants, and she had said on multiple occasions, you know, he'd, he'd come home and have that late night glass of wine and talk about mm. ideas I have with food and, and ideas with restaurants. And she just said, you know, you really, you really need to find your own place to express yourself, mm. to fully understand what you're capable of. And so by say a leap of faith, I think it's, I, I believed in her enough for me to take that risk and, and jump off the end and, she, God forbid, she had the, uh, the, the belief in me enough that I could do it. So I think nice. it was a, a dynamic duo, a little team there. Yeah. Um, but you know, when you get down to it, 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 you really have to have that little level of belief in yourself and where you have come from. You know, kind of that, that makes who we are, our mm -hmm. story, um, where we've come from, so that maybe that's strong enough a foundation to start building something new. Gotcha. And because 
I kind of read a little bit about your bio. You kind of trained in the Orient, and you kind of trained and learned baking up in, in France and that kind of stuff. Um, how did all that kind of influence the the menu creation and the way you you set up the menu for Crush that kind of launched you into into where you are today with so much success and and accolades within the industry? You know. Um, I think early on in in schooling in culinary school, uh, and so I was in San Francisco. I remember chefs there saying very very specifically, if you allow this or if you work this career enough, it will take you anywhere in the world. And that's a, mm. a very interesting aspect of being a chef or working in the culinary industry is that it, it can take us anywhere. I mean, to a large extent, if we understand what we're doing well enough and we're able to um, capitalize on those opportunities, we can go anywhere. So my, my work with, you know, I lived in Singapore for two years and worked there, traveled throughout Southeast Asia, um, did a lot of uh, stage work and, and uh, really some work in Paris and Lyon to understand mm. more about chocolate and pastry. Oh, nice. But those, that story, I think, of, of my experiences informed um, almost naturally informed where I wanted to cook. And I, I tend to think, even especially at Crush, I tend to think that I like to cook to a sense of place. So, you know, there I am in the Northwest, but it's all based on the foundation of where I have been. Um, so I, I, let, I tend to lean on spice use quite a bit because it informed on the places I had lived in and I had been and traveled to, um, but never overtly a certain style of, of, of say, a, a style of cooking like you were in a certain place, but rather here we are in the Northwest, but lending on, on different ingredients. Mm-hmm. But then when it came down to it, it's about personality and crush allowed me to express my personality, a, a level of creativity that was based on that foundation of experiences and mm-hmm. techniques and, and, and really exposure I've had, but also the ideas I had of what could be um, and expressing those. in. so the crush was a very, uh, it was very inf- 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 inter- interesting, but influential time for me as well. Yeah, sounds like it. Do you we working in Singapore and Fran- well, uh, maybe think, let's take Singapore, or even for the executive chefs that are that you hire now. Do is that kind of creativity kind of stifled a little bit, where you're 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 required to work in a small box where you really can't fully express what you'd like to do and when you'd like to do it? Um, so today I, I think it's interesting. Um, I, I look again at that, uh, at that journey or let's say that foundation that I built over time. And today it's just a, a broader foundation. So mm. I, I do get to, I have that luxury of being able to call out and say, I'm going to do this because it's how I cook now. Right. Um, so in, in the in the essence of, uh, for instance, <clears throat> some of the cooking I do today is very much driven by um, the farms that we, we connect with, the people, the relationships I have here of growers and, and fishermen and, and ranchers. And, but still, as far as how we take those things and present them, I still feel strongly that injecting a level of personality in it gives that food identity. Okay. Um, so... I tend to look at um, a box and I say, well, and rather maybe than a box, I look at it like, a, I don't know, a speedway. 
So you have these great runners on both sides that are our parameters by which we work. There's the ways that we source, the techniques that we use. But within that, we have all of this leeway to express creativity and, and expression mm -hmm. within flavor compounds, building uh, layers of flavors, and then ultimately um, how, we, how the guest eats it, which I right. think is one of the more important questions we ask. Oh, that's very interesting. I, I, I did read a quote regarding um, fish, salmon, farm-raised and, and wild-caught salmon, and how you really don't like the farm-raised flavor of salmon as opposed to wild-caught. And I would imagine that finding growers that grow the carrots and the beets and the other stuff more naturally is a um, leads to more successful cooking. I don't know if that's the correct way of saying it. I think it just brings out the flavors more. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, you know, it's, I think it, you know, the part of this stems into, as well, my, my life experiences. But I, I, I can very much, I can vividly recall as we speak, pulling carrots and beets and, and onions and potatoes out of the ground as, as a five, six, seven-year-old kid in Wisconsin. And what those taste like, what they look like, what they smell like, the mm -hmm. aroma of the greens and so forth. And so in that experience well, not lost today, I, I think that we're on a, a maybe a bit of a verge of a, a, a revival with it, with its importance. That experience really talks about how to find and how to get the best, the, the, say the pinnacle ingredient. Mm. Those, the, those ingredients, if we find the, as chefs, if we find the best ingredient, we then can decide on what is the best technique to highlight that ingredient's flavor, texture, you know, overall taste and then the right. experience for the guest. Because if I'm able to find a, even if it's as simple as a carrot, if I'm able to find a carrot that's better than the next guy or gal that's cooking, I've got one edge up. And then right. if I'm able to discover a technique that's better, maybe I have two. So I'm hoping my dish or that, that what I'm doing may stand out better and thus become a little bit more successful. And ultimately, that's what we're looking for is rather than, you know, rather than the fame and notoriety, what I'm ultimately looking for is that, that that dish informs a successful menu because ultimately as chefs, that's what we're looking for is longevity in our work. Yeah, oh, for sure. Isn't, um, I think Lake House, is, that, that's, is it farm to table? Lake House is a farm to table restaurant? Couldn't remember. Uh, I, I, I try to... How do I say this? I, I try to say that it's um, a Northwest farmhouse. Oh, okay. So Lake House is really driven by the, the growers, by the seasons, um, and, and, and it's really driven by produce first. Um, it's that, that idea that we, we highlight what's happening seasonally and, and as locally as possible, but seasonally with plants. Mm. And, um, and then we, we take a next step of, you know, is how, where's the produce? How is the protein? Is it a garnish? Is it um, and oh boy, you're breaking up like crazy. I think I've lost you.
Are you there? Oh. Okay. I just put the recording down. We'll, we'll just chat and, and take it wherever it goes. It's no big deal. I'm All right, of, cool. I'm kind of in, in, enjoying your knowledge. It's, it's, it's a blast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you had asked about Lake House being a, a farm-to-table farm restaurant. Table. Yeah, and you called it the Northwest and, uh, Farmhouse. Yeah, you know, um, as you know, I play ice hockey, and so mm -hmm. I've, I've taken this approach, and, and for whatever it is, I've taken this approach of the, the term farm-to-table, and I said that's like asking a, a great hockey team to learn to skate or, mm. you know, hiring really tall people to have a basketball team. Um, <laughs> I feel like farm to table is, and while I understand its importance in, in kind of putting it out there, or publicizing, or making it relevant to people that um, chefs will will gather things and have relationships with the farms, I think maybe it's it's been watered down recently. I, I tend to think that the lake house as a, a northwest farmhouse <clears throat> is a place that I've always wanted to entertain in, and so when you take it down another notch, yes, we we intrinsically operate at, at a farm-to-table way where, you know, we have, right now we have nine different growers that are working with us. We'll have seven throughout the winter and then back up in summer to about 14, 15. Um, and that's just for our produce. Mm. So it's, it's, it's really, again, finding the best quality stuff. But then we, I look at, at the lake house, I said, well, I, I want a place that I've always wanted to entertain in, that I, I've always wanted to do. And, and, and really have the ability to express what that feeling might be. So if you had this great weekend home at the, mm. on the islands or, you mm -hmm. know, maybe in the Hamptons, something like this, one would go to the farm stand or the farm or the garden or the farmer's market and retrieve with the freshest produce first. Oh, okay. And then you'd go either to a, a fishmonger or maybe the, the you know, the butcher so the, the point of having produce lead the menu, that's kind of where it, it came from. And oh, so far, it's just been received so well in, uh, in Bellevue. Nice. <clears throat> you mentioned um, earlier, we were, we were talking about uh, working in, in Asia and France and stuff. And you said you learned to lean on spices quite a lot um, at that point. If you had to choose three spices or herbs that you had to use for a whole year, what would they be? <laughs> um, I, I love the mixture that goes into Vadovan curry. Um, in, you know, in real true, let's call it Vadovan is, uh, you know, all sorts of things, but it's also fermented and, um, and roasted um, shallots and turmeric and uh, ginger and, so, and garlic. And so that, that mixture to me is really fantastic. Um, mm, okay. I love harissa, both in dried and fresh flavors and, and, and versions, I should say, and then black garlic as well. Oh, okay. Um, so if I had three, I would choose those. Perfect. How the Vadovan curry, um, are you using that currently? What are you doing with it currently? Um, <clears throat> we, we do a roasted cauliflower dish at, um, at the lake house with it. And uh, we, we take the, the we make a vadavan actually with the spices garlic, um, turmeric, ginger, shallot, and um, some curry leaves uh, and a little bit of lime zest. So make the, that mixture, um, dry it out, 
grind it, and then we, uh, we, we blanch whole heads of cauliflower in a vegetable brine, um, let that you know, kind of chill out at room temp, and then we mm. do a compound butter with um, whole butter and that badavan curry, um, and then basically just soak the cauliflower in it for about 20 minutes, um, oh, wow. and then blast the cauliflower in a, in a 500-degree oven. So the, oh, the idea is that we really just we, we, we start that cooking process of the cauliflower with the blanche so that it's a, a tendered product all the way through, mm-hmm. and then let that, that beautiful, rich, developed flavor of the vadavan curry um, kind of get into the cauliflower, and then we cook it and roast it. So oh, interesting. It's, it's one of my, my favorite ways to eat cauliflower right now. Have you tried, it with, tried that technique with Brussels sprouts? No, I haven't, but it sounds delicious. <laughs> you know, we um, at Lake House right now, we're doing uh, Brussels sprouts in um, just real simply um, in some of the pork fat trim um, that we have, and then, you know, fresh sage and pear, and it, it's, it's delicious. But oh, I, bet that's good I, I just love Brussels sprouts all, all different ways. Oh, do you? Oh, Brussels yeah. sprout kind of guy. Well, I, you were talking about um, blanching it, and I was thinking, I don't know why Brussels sprouts came to my brain at the moment, but I thought that would be interesting with Brussels sprouts because everybody does Brussels sprouts and, pa- and bacon or pig fat. I mean, people at home usually do it because it's, it's easy for the home cook to accomplish, but I just thought that was kind of interesting. Kind of fun. Yeah, they are, they are so delicious, and they're cabbage, right? So you have... Right. All these great affinities that go along with Brussels sprouts that, that do well with cabbage as well. Yeah, yeah. they're they delicious. Good stuff, good stuff. You also, um, I read that you had a little project that I found kind of fascinating, and it was the, um, you're on the board of the coffee flower on using that product in a new and exciting yeah. in ways. And I saw that you had kind of muffins on your, your website. I was wondering... I was talking to my wife about that, and we're trying a gluten-free experiment on my wife because we think that the gluten is causing some other kind of issues with her. So we're kind of looking for different flours to use. And the coffee flour, does that, does that react the same way as wheat flour, like to water and to yeast and to leveling and that kind of stuff, or is it totally different? It's, it's different. So, you know, coffee flour project that it, I've been involved with for years now has been a, a fascinating and, 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 and really amazing journey. I don't know how best to say it really, but um, so uh, you start with this idea that um, the coffee bean that we roast for, you know, for coffee each day mm-hmm. um, is not a, does not come from say a bush of beans or a pot of beans, but in fact, from a cherry or from fruit and that cherry, that coffee cherry, um, grows in, you know, equatorial or, or tropical, that band, equatorial band, um, that's very warm. And so when these cherries are picked at their peak of ripeness, when you would pick a cherry, um, the fruit it goes bad rather quickly. Oh, okay. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's intrinsically what the fruit is, but it's also, you know, where it's picked. And so mm-hmm. we don't have the, the cold mornings, let's say, and the um, cold evenings, the colder mornings, and then the more temperate days, it's just mm. hot, sticky, muggy kind of deal. So All the, time. Yeah. the Arabica cherries and the Robusta cherries, so the coffee cherries will, will turn. And for hundreds of years, that coffee fruit has been discarded or 
but let's put it this way. 15% of the coffee harvest is composted. So 85% or almost 7 billion pounds annually is, is trash, is wasted. Holy smokes, so wow. The, yeah, yeah. And so it, all of this stuff to me was brand new news. I was like, I had no idea. Yeah. Um, so I, I was introduced to the CEO and, and inventor of Coffee Flower, and they basically came to me as a friend of a friend, and they said, why don't, why don't you try this and see if you can make anything with it? And mm. um, after I learned more about it, um, some of the initial tests I did was just water hydration. So what does it act like when you blend it with water? Right. And um, what I realized is that this is a fruit powder. And so we, Coffee Flower basically takes that fruit, at harvest when it's fresh um, and sun dries it. We stabilize it, for, you know, prevent it from turning um, and then sun dry it and take that sun dried fruit that's very, very dry um, mm-hmm. and then mill it like you would in a flour mill. Oh, okay. So the resulting flour, or coffee flour, that fruit powder is, um, has a lot of fiber. It's up to 50% fiber. And so what, what it does is it sucks up the, the moisture it provides uh, body and sponge and texture to gluten-free recipes. Um, because of where it's grown, it has a, a great affinity to other things grown in that area. So um, mm. chocolate it has a great affinity too. So you'll see a lot of recipes that I do with it that have cocoa powder or chocolate. But because of the properties of the fruit, you know, it's, it's basically superfood super category. Mm-hmm. Um, really high in antioxidants and 12% protein. So it allows us to emulsify sauces with it. Um, the fiber and so forth allows, allows that process. It allows me to take, um, and I use it in uh, barbecue sauces, bolognese, but also in ice creams because the protein and the fiber both help with absorption and emulsification. Um, oh, we've made some amazing chocolate ice creams. And then we discovered that we can reduce the amount of cocoa in in chocolate recipes and the amount of sugar in in recipes it goes into. Oh, interesting. And um, that's where we had some big breakthroughs. So, yeah, it's been been fascinating. And, you know, honestly, I would encourage you, if you have issues with gluten, mm-hmm. I would encourage you to take to get coffee flour and look at it as a substitute for 10, 15, 20% of your recipe. Um, when, when I first tried it on my son, he was nine at the time, he's 11 now. And I said, here, make pancakes. And I gave him the pancake mix and then just put some of this in until it looks like it's chocolate. And he did it on his own and made great tasting pancakes. So, um, it can work at all levels. (laughs) So are you, (laughs) yeah, right. All age levels. Um, are you you saying make it like 15% um, coffee flour and 85% regular flour? Correct. And oh, okay. then, <clears throat> that initial starting point will allow you to kind of understand more about it, how it works. Um, oh, okay. you know, you'll have to add a little bit more milk or water to that mixture to make great pancakes um, because the fiber absorbs that liquid. So right. that's just a, a natural process. But coffee flour is, is be, well, it is a, a business-to-business ingredient much more than it is, say, a retail uh, right. product. So there are... There's coffee flour in crackers, breads, um, cereals, and chocolates that um, it, where it's not even called out as an ingredient. And there are other other products out there that where it's definitely called out, and people are saying, you know, energized cereal or you oh, know, okay. higher fiber 
breads and, you know, gluten-free cocoa cakes with, um, you know, new and improved fiber. So it's, um, we, we tend to look at like there's a, there's a billion pounds. There's, you know, really our, our problem is about seven to eight billion pounds is our opportunity. And um, if we can start to take a cut of that and start to take it out of the environment, um, that's a big win for us. Well, yeah. simultaneously, what we're doing is we're also paying the farmers at Origin, the people that are growing the coffee cherries, mm-hmm. we're paying them for the pulp that, we, that we're using. And, and I say that in, in like as a point because all of us would expect that we'd be paid, but imagine the, the Michigan or the Washington cherry farmer that brings, you know, 1,000 pounds of cherries to the, the market or to the mill mm-hmm. and is only being paid for 65% of the weight. Because oh, okay. that's the weight of the pits or the weight of the, the coffee beans. Mm. So we're now we're now increasing that that farmer's income by really twenty to thirty percent, depending on how much production's going on. Right, that's a win-win. So, um, so the coffee bean is the pit of the cherry, in other words. Correct. Yeah. Okay. And the cherry looks a lot like a cranberry. Oh, okay. Like a fresh cranberry. And how do they? Because um, I mean, there's a there's tons and tons of coffee beans that are being harvested. Are these things done mechanically by a machine to separate them? Correct. Well, harvesting can be done by hand and by machine. Oh, okay. Um, I have photos on my phone of you know when I trip to Nicaragua to do training, and the you know 99% of what we saw was um, hand harvesting, and so that's largely what you'll see is hand harvesting. God, that's got to be labor intensive. Oh my goodness. It's it's arduous, and it's, it's rare to see a lot of smiles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess any way we can help them financially is, is for their hard work is probably a, a plus for sure. for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one thing to give someone another tree, mm-hmm. you know, or plant them a new tree because basically you're just adding to more, you know, they have more product to harvest. But yeah. then if I'm paying you more for that product you're harvesting, I'm now empowering you to make – independent choices and decisions based on, you know, having more financial resources. Right. <clears throat> Does the, so um, I got to interject real quick. I'm, sure. a, I'm next car up at the customs. Okay. So you're going to hear us in just a couple seconds here. We're going to get okay. through. Yeah. Okay. There's two big guys with, two big guys with guns looking down our throats. All right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. This is U.S. This is U.S. Customs, right? Say again. It's U.S. Customs you're talking to. Yeah, we're going back into the border at Blaine, uh, Washington. Gotcha. So we've done this now. I mean, we, by now we should really have Nexus passes. It's really our own fault. Yeah, you We probably do should. probably seven, eight trips a year through the border. Yeah, you should get it. It's enough to where. Enough to I noticed the I, I recognized the gal going into Canada on Saturday morning. <laughs> I was like, I've had you before twice, and I know it. Oh, that's hilarious! Oh, that was pretty funny. Yeah. Here we come. Okay, I'll just stand by. All right, thanks. Hi there. Oh, sorry. Where do you live? Seattle, Buffalo. What were you doing in Canada? Hockey tournament. Did you win? Uh, we had a really great game yesterday, but 
one second. Thank you. That's it. Well, that was easy. Yeah. We looked the part. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> My son's sitting next to me, and he's got a school uniform on, and he's like, you know, all typed up, and then the bags are back there. So yeah. it worked out perfect. Oh, there you go. Great. Thanks for your patience. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's okay. I was going to um, ask you about the the flavor of the the flour. Yeah, I know it's got a, a chocolate consistency and color, or color more than any consistency. Does it taste chocolatey too, or does it t- taste like coffee, or does it have like a bland no taste? It's um, the coffee flour has a, a very interesting taste. So um, I, I sometimes liken it to when when it's working with chocolate. Let's say it, it takes on a, a cocoa powder flavor. On its own, it, it has more of this roasted, um, roasted dried prune or currant, like black currant flavor. Oh, okay. Um, there's an inherent sweetness that comes with it. And by, mm. by sweetness, I just mean like you've added a little bit of sugar to your tea type thing. Oh, okay. But um, it's, not, it's not bitter in that sense. But um, there's little notes of I, – I, I tend to sometimes talk about it like it's a – a Sonoran sunset. You have this, you know, Arizona or Mexico or America, that mm-hmm. smell of smoke and spice and, and wood and that kind of roastiness that happens in those areas. Um, that's, that's how I tend to talk about it. And then there's, there's really interesting spice notes depending on where the, the cherries are from. So oh, okay. Guatemala and El Salvador and um, Nicaragua all have a certain body. That is one, you know, kind of one way, but each has its different characteristics. Um, just like wine or grapes or any fruit, um, the terroir was indicative of other spice notes. So mm. some have more cherries, some have more apricot flavors. Right. Uh, some actually have more umami flavors, like um, coffee from Vietnam. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh-huh. Very interesting. Are you, um, is there a lot of other chefs that you know of that are kind of incorporating this now that it's kind of been on the, now that you're doing what you're doing with it? You know, we've, I, I have reached out quite a bit and shared um, quite a bit of our information, um, our development, copy a lot of the product with other chefs. And so we have um, teams of, you know, I'll talk about, the layers, I suppose. Some of the best-known chefs, um, Dan Barber from Blue Hill in New York and Blue Hill at Stone Barns, um, he used coffee flour and he uses these ingredients in, in ways in his food where he doesn't necessarily say, like, call it out the menu. Gotcha. But um, we have, you know, he was using it with his wasted dinners in London and in New York. Um, we have we have some we have a, some chefs in New York that play with it a little bit and mm-hmm. working with it in their desserts and in their sauces. Um, I have a buddy of mine, Doran Wong, that works with it in uh, in his restaurant in Manhattan, and he makes dumplings with it. So it's oh, neat. there's uh, okay. yeah Northern Tiger. And it's um it's a really it's, it's interesting to see that happen. And then there's another layer of chefs, let's say that are because again you know, our product is we're trying to get a lot of it 
out there, a lot of it moving through the system. So we have chefs at Google and at Compass Group worldwide. So they're, they're feed, feeding, you know, uh, Microsoft campuses, Google campuses, banks, mm. um, large institutions where people are being fed there on site at work. Um, they're using it for vegetarian burgers, um, buns, you muffins, uh, you right. know, chocolates, kind of across the board. And we found, so this is part of it, we're always trying to discover new things, right, with this. Um, we found that when we grind the, the, the fruit into a small, you know, a fine grind, let's say, for flour, mm-hmm. that we have this other, this, you know, this other byproduct, which is a large, the, the larger ground stuff. <clears throat> so we then started to package that and turn it into iced tea. And so we, we now have campuses that are, are serving iced tea with this. And it's, you know, higher protein, higher antioxidant, delicious, and, and good for the environment. So, oh, interesting. Um, all around good stuff. Yeah. It's been, yeah. A, been really neat. Now we're on the cusp of getting into some, um, some larger stadiums as well to do oh. food service in that sense. So, yeah, it's nice, it's nice to see it go from, you know, top-end, very high-known chefs into um, everyday, everyday usages, really. Yeah. And I was... On your website, and I and I went ahead and clicked the link for the coffee flower, and it's actually offered in the grocery stores down here called Sprouts, in the bulk section, which yeah. I didn't know. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's. <laughs> <laughs> that was um, that was really fun to watch happen. Okay. Um, you know, we, we we get some people that that learn about the process that that kind of they have that aha moment, and they're like, I want to be a part of this change. Oh, yeah, nice. Sprouts was, 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 you know, basically towing us along going, get us this product, get us recipes, get us this information we need, and we want to be able to feature it. So it's been, been really fun to be able to see him do it. That's awesome. That's, that's, it's so cool to be a part of that movement and see things, like you said, go from a select few to, to mainstream and get it in, embraced. And it's just a win-win for everybody. Very cool. Yeah, it, it totally is. And, you know, when I, I look at the, the bigger picture, you know, having been to, uh, been in Nicaragua and on, you know, multiple different coffee plantations and farms, met the farmers, watched the process during harvest, I said, you know, this is, uh, this is ultimately something that is, it needs to happen for the greater good. It's yeah. not just about, you know, making one person, you know, in, in one area you know, a better scenario. This is about a greater good globally, um, and hopefully this is one way to attack this issue, which, you know, which will help people all, all around the world. So yeah. it's neat. Yeah, it's funny. Um, we, have a, we had a manager for about four years at my restaurant, Miller's Guild. She was Japanese, and so she, went, she came back from a trip home one day and um, brought me a six-pack of... Um, of coffee flower bagels that she picked up while she was in Tokyo. Oh, neat. And so it was fun to see them get that far, you know, because we have, we have customers in Korea and Japan and China now, too. That's awesome. Yeah, neat stuff. Taking over the world. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All the things that you've done with uh, all your successes and stuff, what has become more important or less important in the last five years? And it doesn't have to refer to food at all. It could be anything. Um, 
that's a that's a tough one because you know it's I, I've been blessed to to have fallen into or maybe worked my way into a career where I love what I do and which is awesome. and so you know it, it's it's really I, I think the most important part is recognizing where I need to be and you know in, in life I, I think anyways I, I always want to be a part of perpetual growth. So I, I love to be with my family and be able to enable their growth and, and help that in any way I can. But as well, you know, the, the, the better effect I have as a chef today is to grow and mentor other chefs and other people. Um, that, that will have a, a broader effect, a larger effect, while still being able to express myself through food. I can still do that, uh, but I found this, this greater satisfaction, I think, being able to, to, to teach others, chefs, and, and mentor them into their next steps in their careers. Mm. What advice would you give new culinary school graduates if they come to you for advice? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I, um, I remember maybe years ago uh, we at Crush, a gal had come to me and said, oh, I saw you on Martha Stewart. You know, um, my daughter, my, she's going to go to culinary school, uh, but she, I, I really wanted to finish college first. And um, I looked at the gal and I said, tell her just to finish college <laughs> and, then, and then decide. And she looked at me kind of um, a little befuddled and a little like I'd insulted her. And I, and I said, look, I mean nothing by it. But I, I, there's, there's, there's two things. I mean, this business isn't for everyone, and it's not that that those of us that have chosen a long career in this business are better or worse or anything. But um, there is a, a, there's a lot of sacrifice that goes along with it. And I think that's a, an important piece to understand is that we, we, we do the majority of our work um, in the opposing hours and times of the majority of the population. Mm-hmm. So if when we're okay with that and we fully absorb that and we have personal relationships that can revolve around that and so forth, um, there's, that's one aspect to it. You know, yeah. And I do think, I, I do see that there's, there's a change, there's a, a change in the horizon because the more technology um, grows, the more the need to feed technology grows and the more that, that job that can be Monday through Friday, um, that's available out there for as well for culinary students and, and you know, people are getting into this, this career. But that, that's important to know. There's a, there's a definite um, life change that goes along with that. And then the other, other aspect really is once you get into this business, um, it can offer you the world. And that's important to also grab, grab onto because I think you know, while the, the workforce is changing today in a, in a broader in a broader perspective, is changing quickly and dynamically. Um, so too does the culinary world. Our our world, I believe, changes just as much and just as fast as tech does, and mm. we have to be ready for that in order to stay on top. Yeah, I, I would I agree with you 100 percent on that. There's a lot of things that are that are going on in this industry that I think the people that actually come and, and patronize your establishments don't realize they just see something new on a, on a menu but in reality it's a it, it could be a huge paradigm shift within the industry that 
unless you're a chef, you're totally unaware of what's going on. And it's, uh, <laughs> <because> <laughs> I, I, I'm only laughing because so few people understand that. No, oh, okay. See that. You know, they, they see your perspective, or they, so few people understand the perspective that you're sharing. Um, and, it, and I couldn't agree more. I mean, someone may come in and say, oh, that, that new restaurant in Bellevue is so pretty. Um, the food's so good. We had this great service experience. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then they might look at us and go, well, you know, you should be out there at San Tropez in the summertime and Florida in the winter or whatever it is. And, and I just go, it's a, it, it's a different, to really expose what we do is it, it 99% passion and drive. And then we kind of look back and go, oh, yeah, we have to run a business simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And then we have to worry about promoting ourselves and, and keeping ourselves out there. And then, oh, by the way, the next guy just figured out a, a cool little recipe that we have to learn from. And it's a, it's a very dynamic and shifting industry. But like I said earlier, I, I, I am in a place where I am. I, I have to stay grateful because I, I love going to work. It's, it's not everybody can say that. <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah, a very small percentage can actually say that where you – you can express yourself creatively, easy for me to say, and still enjoy yeah. enjoy the work at the same time. I think that's just that's pretty awesome. And, and you're right. That's one of the reasons yeah. why I started this podcast is because I don't think people realize that the the stress that, especially someone like you, you've got multiple locations, you've got lots of people under your under you to, to manage. I mean, you've got help from from managers and, and your spouse and those kinds of things. But it's it's a tricky business. It really is. It's spinning those plates that we see on the circus shows all the time and trying to keep them all up going at the same time. And it's a lot of work. Yeah. It, think, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's you said spinning those plates. Um, you know, I'm in the middle of launching a menu for Teatro Zanzani right now which is uh, basically a, a dinner circus theater. Oh, act. interesting. And that's, um, and quite literally, we're just, we're testing desserts. It's funny, um, today, tomorrow, and the following day, that can survive a 25-foot slide. Oh and all of the desserts need to be able to stay presented, ready to go on a 25-foot slide. So there's, yeah, there's fun, or, or, you know, someone may hear that, but, but systematically, I have to figure out what that is while running all the other places, while, you know, bounces and things. Right. And by no means do I say, oh, you know, woe is me. But it, it's, a, it's a fun endeavor by all means. But, yes, we, at this level, there is a lot to, to balance and, and a lot to, uh, to manage. I, I am very grateful for uh, my family being able to help support that. You know, my yeah. wife is um, that, that backbone, that rock where she understands, you know, I've got to be here for two days and over in this city for two days and then in this city for two days and then I'm back for one. Um, it's, but we're doing that because, you know, we're, ultimately we're building something that is important to us. And mm-hmm. that's, that's about living. You know, I, I look at, like, if I can do stuff that's important to me, that's, that's rich living. It's fun. Yeah, no kidding. I love that. It's a great quote. It's a great quote. So let's see. 
Other than a sharp knife, what kitchen tool can you not live with and why? <laughs> not live with or not live without? Uh, cannot live without. I think, uh, oh gosh, that's tough. I, I think, you know, if I had the knife, um, that's tough. I mean, do I do I do I get a fully equipped kitchen, but you know, just one other tool? Like, hey, do I get a kitchen with a stove and pots and pans? It can be your back of house. It can be your whole. You know, you can be your dishwasher and your team for all. It doesn't matter to me. They're all tools in some form or fashion. It yeah. Could your, it could be a set of spoons. That's all. Up you know, to you. I, I think if. If I was running a restaurant, I would say that you know there's, it's it's I have a dynamic I have a dynamic situation. I have a, a group of amazing steakhouses that I work with that all run on on charcoal driven Argentine style grills. Um, I have a you know, a restaurant in downtown Seattle that's a wood fired steakhouse, so I have a massive wood grill there. So I almost want to say it's wood fire because oh, nice. I just love cooking that way. Yeah, the lake house, you know, it has fire, but it's not, it's not all wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I think that, that if I had to really say it, it would be wood fire. There are so many bells and whistles and tools that we could use in the kitchen. But when it comes down to it, there's something amazing and primitive about, and yet essential. I, I think that's the other piece of it, essential. Um, and then incredibly versatile about having a wood fire to work with. Mm. Uh, you know, everything from a proper grilled piece of meat or vegetable or fish, but then roasting in ash, slow smoking, um, slow roasting, you know, charring on the, the coals themselves. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, the ability to do, you know, uh, um, charred apples and quince and pears for dessert. I mean, it's, it's limitless. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, I figure if I'm going to ask for one thing, I'll just go big. <laughs> I, I hear you. I love it. <laughs> is it <laughs> how how big of a challenge is um, controlling a wood fire instrument, keeping the temperature constant? Um, it's a it's a dramatic challenge, uh, and by that I mean it it can be drama in the sense that you know you you're in the middle of picking up 16 plates and you look over and you, you have to gauge and judge where exactly your fire is. It's a, mm. it's a constantly evolving, living, breathing um, mechanism that yeah, if you sure. overfeed it, gets too hot, you know, burns your meats and or yeah. your bread or whatever it might be you're doing. Um, and if you underfeed it and it goes out, you're crippled. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a, and, and that's part of the beauty of it is that the, the possibilities kind of lend themselves to that also. It's kind of like juggling all these restaurants at the same time, right? It's a metaphor for your business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys, you could definitely say that. I mean, and, you know, the other, other piece of the puzzle with that is that you have, and it's similar to the juggling restaurants, is that you have areas where you're, you can pile in the, the, the logs and the coals and the charcoal and have a really hot spot. Um, above that, you know, you can feed fresh wood in, and above you can smoke, so you can have... You know, something super hot, something that's that's working slowly and kind of methodically and kind of does its thing, plugging away. You have other ones that are 
are roasting coals in a, in a cooler area, and that might be a place where you're putting fruits or root vegetables, and oh, so okay. you, you're doing things that are systematic and things you know how to do and, and uh, kind of plugging away at it. So it, there's a lot of um, versatility to it, which yeah. is just a lot you know, restaurant running a restaurant group and the culinary side of that and, and evolving it takes a lot of versatility also. Yeah, for sure, for sure. What's the best lesson your father ever taught you? <laughs> uh, I don't know if it's something I could share on, on your podcast, but, um, <laughs> you know, um, I think my, my father, um, as far as cooking goes, there was just only the, the ones he would always get on me about pushing on the hamburgers when they were cooking. Oh. But I wanted to have them done faster. Oh, okay. And he was like, you know, let it take its time. <laughs> let it, let it, um, let it do it. It'll happen when it's done and just relax and enjoy it. Um, but you know, I always wanted it immediately. Right. Um, but I, I think, I think my mother was very, very in, in, influential or instrumental in it. There was a level of work ethic that she, from a very young age, had, had you know, kind of imparted to me. Um, so, and that comes with a level of drive as well, I, I, I believe. So, I don't know. Oh, cool. Well, your dad was in advertising. What did your mom do? Um, mom is a, uh, a business consultant, so she's more okay. of an executive coach and executive consultant today. Um, worked a lot with, oh gosh, uh, worked a lot with the tech business, the technology industry, the Silicon Valley oh, okay. over the past 25 years. Gotcha. So, uh, a lot in human resources, but now, um, is an executive coach. Oh, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Cool. Well, I know we're, I don't want to take up more of your. I got one last my challenge question I want to ask you, then I'll let you go because I know uh, you're on the road back home. <laughs> <laughs> so my challenge question is: You receive a request to cater a dinner party for 25 guests with a budget of $200, or I'm sorry, $500, about $20 a person. The menu is to include two hors d'oeuvres, two main courses, and a dessert. And describe the menu you would create. Oh yeah. You know the interesting thing is that um, I look at I look at produce now as this this the vegetables now as this great opportunity, and it's all about you know I talked about versatility earlier. It's about how we how we do that versatility, how we utilize it. So mm-hmm. I think it's you know and I and then maybe to incorporate what our discussion was was wood fire. So if I had the opportunity to, to do said party and, you know, they had some uh, a budget like this, um, you know, I, I look at it like, well, why don't we incorporate some wood fire into it? Um, there you go. Either creating a grill or having a wood fire at the restaurant that we use. But either way, I mean, if we're talking two appetizers, there's, um, I can tell you about two that I'm going to do uh, later tonight for a party for 300 where okay. I have a similar uh, budget. And that's, okay, cool. so we, we're taking some heirloom tomatoes and, um, and we're going to slice these heirloom tomatoes about three quarters of an inch thick. Um, we're going we're gonna to try them out in the oven overnight. And what that's going to do is, is take that big thick cut. It is going to release the water, but not so much that it's a sun-dried tomato, <clears throat> but more that it's, you know, kind of wheat down a little bit. 
Um, we're then going to take that tomato and chop it up, remove the skins, chop it up, and then we're going to mix it up like we would steak tartare. The oh, egg, okay. the mustard, the cornichon, the capers, shallot, garlic, all this. And um, serve it on some uh, grilled rye bread, um, mm. like a, a point or a circle or a little square or an hors d'oeuvre, and we're going to serve it as tomato tartare. And the, the resulting texture after we dry it out feels like that of, uh, say, tenderloin or top sirloin. It's got a nice chew and texture to it, oh, that richness. Um, I then take some carrots, some uh, big, bulky carrots, and um, would cover them up with the ashes from uh, a f- the fire. Uh-huh. Um, those ashes, you know, we can do that the night before the party. Those ashes will slow cook. You know, the warm, hot ashes, I should say, will slow cook the carrots <clears throat> and um, basically allow the carrots to steam so they get to be soft. But, you know, if it was a piece of meat, we would think about it like medium. And oh, okay. um, we'll take those carrots out and then I'll roll the carrots in some of that favorite spice I have. <clears throat> so a little bit of harissa mm-hmm. and olive oil. Um, and then cut those carrots into uh, about, you know, three-quarters of an inch or half-inch thick uh, coins, and then top those with a little bit of uh, either goat cheese or ricotta cheese, mm. uh, maybe a little bit of whipped yogurt, and then some fresh mint and chilies, and there's a nice little two-past hors d'oeuvres. <clears throat> so makes it a really nice um, starter. And then, you know, this time of year, we're in fall, and so I'll look to that cauliflower recipe that I talked about earlier. Um, but, you know, using wood fire, um, if I take cauliflower and cut them into big, thick planks, so mm-hmm. inch and a half to inch and three-quarter inch planks, um, and then those planks we can rub with some of that curry butter. I'll grill them off and so that they're tender, yet uh, have that char flavor to them. Oh, make wow. them really, really nice. And then all of the leftover bits of the cauliflower, we're going to take and uh, puree with uh, maybe a little bit of yogurt or buttermilk, um, and uh, that will have a nice cauliflower puree. Um, and then, you know, this time of year, we're in the last time for, uh, well, really the last push of wild salmon. Oh, so okay. slow-roasting wild salmon is an easy way of doing it, but we're going to make cauliflower the main event here, so we're going to be able to save money on salmon. So rather than having, you know, salmon be the course, it's all about cauliflower. But we'll slow roast a full side of salmon. And, um, you know, by slow roasting, I mean 170 Fahrenheit in an oven. We cover the filet, the whole side, with dill and uh, season it with salt. And then let it roast for about 30 minutes so it's, it's soft cooked. And then we'll take that fish and just flake it out by hand allowing for, you know, three or four little pieces to be garnishing that beautiful steak of cauliflower. Oh, okay. So main course there. And then, um, you know, the last little bit of our wood fire is, you know, taking advantage of the season. Um, I think we we take fresh local apples from, you know, the northwest, and we have a a whole bunch of different sources for this. Put them in on the coals and just blister and char them on the outside. Uh, right on that fire coal. So not in the fire per se, but in the, in the coals of the fire. Um, oh, okay. Takes about six, seven minutes and rolling those apples around all sides. And then we put them up on the grill and, and let them just kind of weep a touch. And what happens is that apple gets this custard-like 
texture inside. Oh wow! And then that beautiful char on the outside is like this this burnt skin that, as the apple cools, it allows us to peel apart. Oh no! So we take that apple, and once it's cool, we slice it in half. We peel the black part off and the charred part of the skin, and we have this beautiful apple custard inside. And there, you know, I excuse me. Right, right there, I like to take a look at it and go, I want to take some blue cheese and um, maybe a little bit of crushed hazelnuts and, uh, and just top it a little bit of that on top of the apple, put it back in the oven real fast and just melt that cheese or maybe under a fire even and uh, just melt it really quick and then serve that apple because it's simple. It's, it's things that are very regional and speak to our area, yet yeah. um, complex in flavor. Yeah, so. and yeah, cost-effective complex. I mean, it sounds that that was amazing. That was some of the most ingenious stuff ah. I've heard. That was awesome. That was so well, cool. Well, thank you. It's and then that's that's ultimately what we like to do is look for those those things that speak to us in the season and you know and yes, we have to stick with the budget. So yeah, <laughs> how yeah, do we make exactly. that work? Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, Jason, I really appreciate you um, talking to us on your drive back from Canada. Safe travels for you and your son. And have a great service tonight. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. I know you're very busy. And thank your wife, too, for, for allowing you to spend time with us as well. I really appreciate it. I will, and I really appreciate uh, all of the opportunities here. Thanks so much. Thank you. Have a great day. I'll talk to you soon. All righty. Take care. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.